carbon offsets have suddenly become all the rage. Everyone's talking about them, everyone's trying to work out how they can be measured, how they can be paid for, how money can be made. And that's not surprising. The pressure from ESG, from investors more generally, has called forth a barrage of companies all declaring the dates by which they're going to be net zero. And that's the easy bit. The difficult bit is saying, well, you know, how exactly are you going to do that? You can cut the easy emissions, but what about those hard to abate emissions? What are you going to do to really hit your deadline? And the answer is for many companies, ah, oh, well, we found a get out of jail card. What we're going to do is we're going to pay for the emissions we can't abate. Uh, we're going to pay someone to soak those up by sequestration. And on the other side of the equation, there are a lot of landowners, uh, whether it be forestry or agriculture, who say to themselves, well, look, you know, suddenly uh, I've got all this land and uh, I could get paid to plant trees, biocrops and so on, put the carbon back in the soil and I've got a whole new revenue stream. I can get in the business of carbon farming. So the excitement is very understandable. But uh, when you scratch a little bit deeper, the devil is in the detail. So if you want to offset carbon, what would count as a credible and legit bit of carbon sequestration as opposed to a bit of greenwash and a bit of padding to make everything look nice and ESG? What would convince a board that it was really doing something of merit and wasn't vulnerable to subsequently being accused of greenwashing? So the starting point is pretty obvious, uh, although virtually nobody yet does it properly. You need a baseline. You need to know what you've got so you can show whether you've sequestered additional carbon or not. And that's not just about how much carbon's there. It's about a baseline for all the natural capitals because all the natural capitals are likely to be affected by uh, the carbon sequestration measures that are put in place. You know, it's a lot more difficult than simply measuring emissions. This is about multiple impacts, multiple consequences, multiple benefits, but also multiple costs. So a baseline is the starting point, and it has to be credible in the sense of independently verifiable. So let's just say you've done that. You've worked out what you've got. So is it just about, well, planting a few trees and then adding up the amount of carbon that uh, the trees sequest and then trading that extra carbon? Well, no. And no for lots of reasons. But one in particular, which goes to the ethics of carbon offsetting and why there are many on the environmentalist side who say, you know, this is just allowing people to get away with more pollution, is that there's a central question here, which is what would have happened had you not done, for example, the tree planting? What, to put it in its right sense, is the counterfactual? Would you just have gone on doing 
what you are doing as reflected in the baseline or would you have made changes anyway? And the answer is, it's almost certain that the baseline will not be the same as the counterfactual. Why? Well, because there's an enormous amount of action with respect to land use uh, and its future and with respect to carbon coming down the track. The embarrassing point for many of those on the land ownership side is that agriculture is, relative to its size, the greatest emitter of carbon before we get anywhere near the sequestration and the offsets. Agriculture in uh, UK is what? 0.6% of GDP? A bit more significant than fishing, but uh, well below even 1% of GDP. And yet it's responsible for a measured 10 to 11% of emissions. And if you add in the losses from soils and peats, which are also ascribable in part to agriculture, it's probably 15%. Well, when you think that the power sector is only about 20, you get a measure of just how serious pollution from the farming sector is. And this is going to have to stop irrespective of carbon offsetting. So that counterfactual goes to the heart of whether the emissions reductions relative to the baseline are genuinely additional. But let's say for a moment they are. So what's the worth of a carbon offset? How do you know how much a company that's trying to be net zero and offset should pay? And how do you know how much a landowner should be paid? Now, in many markets, you just go and have a look at the market price. But there isn't a market price for carbon, and there isn't in particular a market price for carbon going 10, 20, 30 years into the future, which might be the time horizon of carbon sequestration by, for example, trees. The emissions carbon market, for example, the EU ETS, is deeply flawed and politically manipulated. You have to guess what you think the European Commission's going to do to manipulate the permits going forward to work out what you think the carbon price is going to be. And it'll be, in my view, much worse when we get to the UK ETS, the first auctions of which are due in May 2021. So we don't even have an emissions carbon market, which would be deep, liquid and transparent from which to transpose prices. But at least it's a kind of starter. We can work out what a possible price of carbon today might be. But what do you think it's going to be in 25 years time? Do you think it's going to be 100? Do you think it's going to be 200? Or do you think decarbonisation is going to be pretty successful and the carbon price is going to be falling? The answer is you don't know. And so what you have to do is to construct some possible scenarios and work out how sensitive the value of the carbon offset is to what those price projections might be well into the future. And that brings the second point into play. What do you discount future carbon offsets by relative to the valuation, the net present value you want today? Do you use the market interest rate? Do you use the current negative real interest rates from the greatest expansion of monetary and fiscal policy the world has ever seen since the, the Second World War? Or do you take a view that interest rates will return to normal, there'll be a normal cost of capital into the future, and say 2% real might be the number in 20 or 30 years' time? 
This really matters because even if you discount at two or three percent, the value of a carbon offset in 20 years time discounted at that rate is not particularly large. It's radically diminished as the time horizon opens up into the future. And so putting together possible scenarios for discount rates and possible scenarios for carbon prices gives you a matrix. And from that, you can work out, well, should you do it? Now, there are some additional twists to this. It matters a lot what happens to that sequestrated carbon at the end of the period, say when the trees are fully grown. Do you turn them into timber and therefore permanently sequester the carbon in buildings? Do you let the trees fall down and gradually rot into the soil and take quite a lot of the carbon into the soil with them? Or do you burn them in power stations, having turned them into pellets? Clearly, these are radically different outcomes. Pellet burning, burning wood uh, for biomass, is a temporary sequestration, not a permanent one, and the emissions are going to be greater than the sequestration taken over the full life of the capture, the sequestration that takes place. So the scrappage value is extremely important and the rules around that scrappage value matter. And presumably, if you burn the wood in a power station, you should pay the carbon price for the emissions or the carbon tax. That's something out there in the future to think about, but it does make a great deal of difference in terms of what it is you're investing in. Now, then let's move on to the question of, well, what about the other effects of the particular investment you make? So this is going to, if you're planting trees, for example, have impacts on water quality, recreation, mental and physical health, biodiversity, and so on. It's not just about the trees. And indeed, even the trees themselves, since they suck up moisture, can be very damaging if planted, for example, in areas of peat. So there are multiple impacts from these natural sequestration investments. It's not just about carbon. And indeed, if you just focus on carbon, you may do very serious environmental damage. And of course, our company trying to be net zero will worry enormously about the reputational impacts that might come from that. So you need to think finally about all the natural capital impacts, all the revenues that could come from those natural capital impacts, and all the costs and detriments that might follow from particular investments. So, as you can see, the devil really is in the detail. Done properly, carbon offsetting is the natural corollary of emissions and emissions reductions, and it is a negative carbon price as against a positive carbon price, and it can be absolutely crucial to achieving net zero on a broader perspective, both in a particular economy and globally. Think of the rainforests that come into the play in this uh, framework. So it's really important to think this one through. It's going to have an important role to play, but the scope for greenwashing and cutting corners is immense. So the key thing is do it properly. Thank you very much.